Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 15 once again. If you want to follow along in the Bible that's located in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 976. And um, we're just going to kind of orient ourselves to this text this morning just by reading the the first two verses, uh, verse 21 and 22. And so um, I would just invite you to stay seated as, as, uh, as I read the text to you. And then Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Lord, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. We're just gonna stop there as we orient ourselves to the text this morning. I, uh, I'm sure you've all heard the old, uh, the old saying, never meet your heroes. Uh, never meet your heroes. That's, uh, that's, I hear that a lot. And uh, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've, I've had very good experiences, fortunately. I've got to meet a lot of the people that have shaped my thoughts, have shaped my ministry. Uh, uh, I got to meet uh, 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 just a couple of different guys. I got to meet Al Moeller uh, a couple of times, and he was always so kind and, and down to earth and generous with his time. Uh, got to have a kind of a kind of a distant and uh, kind of on again, off again, you might say, uh, but just kind of a, a continual um, meeting with uh, with John MacArthur, and that was just uh, one of the joys of my life. Uh, just this week, um, got to um, connect with a guy on Facebook named John Frame. He is one of my favorite theologians. Uh, in fact, my dissertation kind of has his fingerprints on it. He's been a very influential uh, in, in my way of thinking about theology and such. And I got to uh, connect with him on Facebook this week and uh, just very generous, very happy to meet me. Uh, I even said, look, I know we're not friends. I'm not a former student. If you wanna defriend me, I certainly understand. And he was like, oh no, happy to have you aboard and, and, just, a, and just a great guy. So I'll, I've always had good experiences uh, with kind of meeting my heroes. But we do have a worship leader in town who uh, I won't mention the, the name of the Christian artist, but if I said his name, you would all recognize him. Very popular, uh, pretty much defined the genre of, uh, of contemporary Christian worship uh, today. And uh, this guy was his, just his idol, I mean, just his hero. And, and he, became, he wanted to be a worship leader because of this gentleman. And he finally got the chance to meet him one time, and he told him, man, I, I am such a fan, and I grew up listening to you. You are the reason I wanted to become a worship leader. And, and this gentleman just kind of brushed him off. Like he was just, it was not worth his time whatsoever. And it was so demoralizing to him. It was so disappointing that, that uh, my friend doesn't even listen to his music anymore. I mean, just, just a complete opposite reaction of what he wanted. And I can't help, as we, as we met this woman who is crying out to Christ, I, I can't help but to wonder if maybe that is something like what she felt at first. Because as we go through this text, we're going to see that Jesus's reactions are reactions that we're not used to seeing in him. That these are, these are reactions that can be very, uh, can be a little confusing. And so uh, looking at this this morning, we're meeting a lady who is meeting this quote unquote hero 
And yet, at least at first, she's not, uh, there's gotta be somewhat disillusioning for her, at least at first, or so you would think. But we're gonna see that it actually ends up quite different. You know, there's a common teaching today that's it's out there. It's very common among evangelicals. It's very popular to hear this, that, that there's this uh, certain kind of feeling that comes with God's presence. That when God is present, there is a, there is a certain emotional or certain um, just kind of feeling that you get. You could call it your God feeling. And this is very, very popular today. We hear all these pious statements about feeling the presence of God, and, and people talk about this feeling that they have. And so what do we do when the feeling's not there, though? This teaching is very common, but, it's, but it can actually be very dangerous. It can be very tempting, because when that feeling is not there, you might be tempted to pursue practices and pursue things to try to stir up your God feeling. To get, your, to, get to a place to where you're having that feeling uh, in fact, so many churches today kind of build their worship services as a worship experience, right? And what is it they're trying to do? They're trying to stir up your God feeling, right? Beloved, there is no God feeling. There is no God feeling. You say, why is that? Because all feelings are God feelings. Look at the book of Psalms. You will find the whole gamut of human emotion. You will find depression. You will find grief. You will find joy. You will find laughter. You will find abounding joy. You will find heartache and heartbreak and anger. And in every single one of those feelings, God is never far away from them. He is always present. See, beloved, we know God is present with us, not because we have a God feeling, but because we have the promise of God that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And every feeling we have, we experience in the presence of God. Amen? Sometimes there's abounding joy that comes in the presence of God. Hallelujah, amen and amen. But beloved, if you are struggling with depression, don't think that God is far from you. Don't think that God is missing. Don't think that God is absent. If you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with anxiety, don't think that just because things are not the way you think they should be that God is absent from you. That's actually a very dangerous teaching. Very dangerous. It can, it can, it can tempt you to go after things like like, like the charismatic movement, the, the, the word of faith movement, even, even now that's getting into occult practices and bringing them into the church, all to stir up your God feeling. Beloved, please, I want to inoculate you from that teaching this morning, that temptation. Think about, if he, think about Ecclesiastes chapter three. I believe there's a song about this and everything there is a time Every season, every purpose under heaven, a time for birth, a time for death, plant, uproot what's planted, time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, build up, weep, laugh, mourn, dance, throw stones, gather stones, 
et cetera, et cetera. The Lord is present in them all, every time. And so we rest in faith in the promise, not in the feeling. Rest in faith in the promise. And so these last few weeks, why do I bring that up? Because these last few weeks, we've been talking about cleansing in the church. We've been talking about how do we experience the cleansing of grace, the cleansing of salvation. And we saw that it's not through legalism. It's not through anything we do. It comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so the, the, the community of the disciple is to be a faithful community and yet, what does that look like? Especially when times are bad. What does that look like? What, what will that, how will we know that within us? How do we show that? And so Matthew begins by moving us away from Israel into this area of Tyre and Sidon, probably to get away for a little while, to spend some time alone with his disciples. And of course, the poor man can't go anywhere without being recognized. And so he's walking down the street and somehow this Syrophoenician woman, this Canaanite woman, and Matthew actually makes it a point to call her a Canaanite woman. We'll say that in a minute, more about that in a second. But, but this woman comes to him, somehow she recognizes him. She heard the story, she heard the rumors, she heard everything that's coming out of Israel. She hears all of this and she has this massive problem from this reason, somehow she recognizes him and his 12 disciples, and she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Because my daughter is severely demonized, severely demonized. We don't have a lot of details about that, but we do see another young man in Matthew 17, I believe it is, where this same wording is used of this young man, and we see some of the things that happened to him. He was mute. The demon seized him, and when it would seize him, it would throw him, slam him on the ground. He would foam at the mouth, severely grind his teeth, stiffen out his body. There were even times when the demon would cast him in the fire and into water. The demon is literally trying to destroy, trying to kill this young man because that's what demons do. And I just want you to imagine for a moment, imagine that you are a parent and you're watching this happen to your child. Imagine you're the parent of Gail's friends who are rushing to Miami, even as we speak, trying to save the eyesight of your five-year-old precious daughter. Imagine it's you who are, you're watching your child go into the surgery room and you're asking the question, is it gonna be all right? And you hear those words from the doctor who says, we're doing all we can. That's not very comforting, is it? Imagine you're the one who's waiting on the test results. Is it positive or is it negative for cancer? Imagine you are the one. Have you ever had to watch your kid go through a major surgery and know that there is nothing you can do and all there is to do is place them in the hands of another and you would give your life if you could just trade places with them? Is there anything you wouldn't do to take their place? 
So you can imagine the desperation of this woman. She sees Jesus coming in, and now is her chance. She shouts. She's heard the stories. She's, maybe she's even met people who have had life-changing experiences, and she sees him now. He's here. He's within reach, and she's calling out. And what is Jesus' first response in verse 23? But he did not answer her a word. His first response is he seems to ignore her. He seems to ignore her. It's not that Jesus doesn't hear her. The text is very clear. You know, I've heard some preachers sometimes try to soften this, and, and they say, you know, it's probably just a lot of shouting, a lot of noise going on. Jesus didn't hear her. No, 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 no. That's not what the text says. The text is very clear. He did not answer her a word. He heard her. But just like that, she did not even give a, get a word from him. He chose to ignore her. Just like that Christian artist. You can imagine that, that, that this poor woman felt like Jesus is just brushing her off and saying, you're not worth my time. I have better things, more important things to worry about. You know, sometimes it's not the distress, it's not the trouble that's so bad. A lot of times when we are going through something like this, when we're going through sickness, when we're going through these kinds of things, it's not that they're so bad, it's that we don't know when they're going to end. That's the issue. Is it gonna be like this forever? Oh Lord, have you forsaken me forever is how some of the psalmists write. You know, you can have rough weeks, but you always know that Friday's on the way. I've always wondered why we look so forward to Friday. You know, you still have to work on Friday, right? Thank goodness it's Friday. No, 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 no. Thank goodness it's Saturday. <laughs> Never understood that. It's especially hot summer and you're working out in the heat and, and you just feel like you're melting from the inside. Your innards are liquefied and, and it's just so punishing hot, but thank the Lord it was in the 60s this week. Amen. Fall is coming. Remember the old song, Sunday's on the way? It may seem like a Friday night, but Sunday's on the way. Talking about the resurrection. Remember that old song? Maybe we need to sing it one Sunday. <laughs> but not everything works like that. Sometimes we ask, will I get relief from this pain? And the truth is, is that no one knows. No one knows. Will this cancer go away? We don't know. Will my child be all right? We're doing the best we can. And we cry out to God over and over and over again, like this woman is doing, crying out to Jesus over and over and over again, and yet God seems silent. The silence is deafening. Silence is deafening. You know, a lot of people, like my friend, he doesn't even listen to this artist's music anymore. A lot of people with that kind of disillusionment, that kind of, that kind of disappointment, a lot of people would give up, but not this woman. Not this woman. Verse 23, the Jesus' disciples come in, and I, I, I love their response because I can kind of relate to it. His disciples came up and implored him. They're begging him. They're, they're like, Lord, seriously, come on, send her away. Send her away. In other words, give her what she wants. 
Let her, let her give, I mean, let her have it. Let her just, she's not giving up. If you, if you, if you look back in the previous verse where it says that she's crying out to Jesus, uh, that's continual. In other words, she's doing it over and over and over and over and over again. And the disciples, they don't care about her. They don't care about her daughter. They don't care about whatever. What they do care about is, hey, Jesus, give her what she wants because uh, she keeps yelling at us and we don't like this. And, and, and I think that we can all relate to that where just give them what they want so they'll go away, right? We, I don't think there's a parent in this room who can't understand that. Just give the kid what he wants. We're not interested in justice or right or wrong. We want quiet. Am I the only sinful parent in the room? No, I don't think I am. You know, you know it's funny. Uh, as, as you get further away from your kids uh, being young, you know, sometimes you kind of forget things. And, and I caught myself doing it a few weeks ago. We were, I was like... Uh, I was like, uh, man, I, my kids, I saw some kid acting up in Walmart. I was like, my kids never acted like that. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> I, I hear stuff like that all the time. And I'm like, oh, how you don't remember. <laughs> they certainly did. And so the disciples are saying, Lord, just give her what she wants. So she'll stop shouting at us, but what's Jesus' second response? He distances himself from her. He distances himself from her. Look in verse 24, but he answered and said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's all I was sent to. And by the way, he's not even saying this to her. He's saying it to the disciples. So he's still not giving her a word. He's only saying this to the disciples. He says he was only sent to the house of Israel, which, by the way, this is not inconsistent with, with other truth that we see in Scripture. Jesus came to the Jews. That's not, a, that's not a racist statement. That's not a national statement. That is simply a matter of historical fact and theological truth, that when Christ came, he was a Jew. And he had all the Jewish qualities that Jewish humanity has. We see that same wording in Matthew chapter 10 when we studied it, that he tells the disciples, go only to the house of Israel. We see in Luke chapter one, verse 16, that, that the whole purpose of Christ's coming at first is to turn the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. So, so this is not inconsistent with, with truth. Paul even says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first. So this is not inconsistent, but you can imagine how this woman might have felt hearing this. And basically the idea is, well, you're not a member of our church. We can't help you. You're not a member of our church. Therefore, your needs will have to go somewhere else. She wasn't an Israelite. In fact, she was a Canaanite. You know, Matthew makes a point to bring that out, that this is a Canaanite woman. Canaanite woman, do you remember what the Israelites were supposed to do to the Canaanites? If, if they had actually followed God's will, if they had followed God's command, this woman would have never been born. She had no right to be here. She had no reason to be here. She was separate from God 
excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, called their uncircumcision, and given the area, she was probably worshiping a God by the name of Eshmun, who is the healing God. In fact, Paul makes it a point to say that all false gods are really as a demonic thing, a demonic presence. I can't help but to wonder if maybe it's her own worship of a demon that caused her daughter to be demonized in the first place. But the thing is, here's the thing. In spite of that truth, Jesus has helped others who were not Jews. We've already seen that. And in Matthew chapter eight, he helped a Roman centurion, a Roman. In John chapter four, he helps a Samaritan woman. Many people from many different nations in Mark chapter three are helped by Jesus. It's not that he won't help others outside of Israel, it's that he won't help this woman. And have you ever felt like that when you're praying, Lord, why is it that you're blessing so-and-so? Why is it that you're so good to so-and-so? And yet I am crying out, I am crying out, and I'm crying out, why won't you help me? You ever felt like that? Of course you have. Why is it that a church down the street is not even preaching the truth and yet they're bringing in crowds? They've got, they've got all the youth programs. They've got all the, the flash and all the bang and all the pomp and circumstance and the people are coming and they've got unlimited budgets to do whatever they want to spread their false doctrine. We're not even sure if we're gonna make budget next year. By the way, that's not, I'm just, that's an example, Okay. <laughs> We do encourage you to give, though, so let's <laughs> throw that in there. So <laughs> we look around and see all these great things happening in other people's lives and other people's churches, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and nothing. Lord, you'll help them. Why won't you help us? Where are you? Lord, you've given this preacher, you've, you've given this church this wonderful pastor with this deep Scottish accent, and you gave us Randy. Why? A new study this week says if you preach with a Scottish accent, there is a 300% chance of more salvations. It is, <laughs> Logan told me that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so go listen to your Alistair Begg, you know, and your Derek Thomas and your Sinclair Ferguson and just put up with me on Sunday. But at this point, we might be tempted to give up. You know, God is so good to everybody else, but he don't care about me. A lot of people might be tempted to say that, but not this woman. Not this woman. She perseveres. She continues. She keeps going. And Matthew here in verse 25 gives us the sheer desperation of this woman. In verse 25, she runs. She began to bow down before him. And you can just hear the desperation in her voice. Lord, help me. Please. What's it gonna take? Help me. You ever been in that moment of desperation? You cry out to God, you have no idea what's gonna happen. And you're just begging God. You don't even have the words. All you can say is, Lord, help. All you know how to say. And yet, what's Jesus' response here? 
He seems unwilling. It's not just that he's distant. It's not just that he's silent. Now he's unwilling. Look what he says, and this is absolutely shocking. This is, this is borderline racist. This is, this is terrible on the face of it. He answers her, he says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What? What? What about how willing he was to heal everyone else? Not a second's hesitation. And yet, here's what he says to her. How could he say something like this? Now, again, a lot of preachers try to soften it. They'll say, well, Jesus is not talking about a mangy mutt. He's talking about, I started to put a picture of Bella up there, my little chihuahua. He's talking about Bella, you know. He's not talking about some mangy mutt like that one on our street that always gets out and chases our cars anyway. Another story for another day. Beloved, Israel really did not, they were unclean animals. Israel did not have pet dogs, Okay, don't think you're a cute little Yorkie at home. Think a mangy mutt that's a scavenger and just eating all kinds of gross stuff all over the streets. Going through trash, ravaging through all of your stuff. This is a name that Israel's referred to as for the Gentiles, that they are dogs. Very insulting. Very insulting. And not to mention in scripture, dogs are always thought of as negative Talking about the dogs are outside, not allowed in, all that kind of stuff. Not a pretty picture. Not a pretty picture. And this woman is the furthest person in the world who should have expected anything good from God. She is his enemy. She's a worshiper of a false god, which might have been caused the demonization of her daughter in the first place. If God's law had been carried out, she would have never been born. She had absolutely no reason in and of herself to expect anything good from God. She had nothing to offer him, and Jesus is making that all too apparent. You know, there's a lot of people who get so offended when they're referred to as a sinner. They're, they're so offended when they're referred to as rebellious against God. And a lot of people wanna turn away at that point and say, we want a loving God. We want this, we want that. Love defined by their own definitions, by the way. But, but, but they say, they walk away at that point and we're tempted to walk away ourselves. There's a lot of people who believe that God could never be gracious to such a person, to such a sinner, but not this woman. Not this woman. And what we see here in verse 27 is we see her incredible faith. Her incredible faith. Look what she says. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to feed on the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What an, what an outstanding profession of faith. She acknowledges who he is. She confesses him as Lord. Yes, Lord. And not only that, she confesses her sins. Jesus called her a dog. And guess what? She agrees with it. Yes, I am unclean. Yes, I am your enemy. 
Yes, I should have never been born. Yes, I have no right to be here. Yes, I am completely unworthy. Lord, I am a sinner. I should not even be standing in your presence. But I also know that your grace is so sufficient that if all I get is the crumbs that fall from your table, it is more than sufficient for me. Your grace is enough. And I know that's what I need right now. I need your grace. I need your power. I need your, your mercy. And if all I get are your scraps, it's enough for me. If all I get from God is nothing but the crumbs of his salvation, it is enough. If God takes away everything you have today, would you still worship him for no other reason than he is worthy? Beloved, worship is not a means to an end. It is the end of itself because God is worthy. We don't worship to gain something from God. We worship to tell God he is worthy and that in and of itself is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for us. And look at what happens in verse 28. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus had a plan all along. He was never silent. He was never distant. He was never unwilling. He looks to her so tenderly. You can't really see it in the translation, but this is a, this is a tender, welcoming for, oh, woman. In other words, oh, lovely one, oh, dear child. Very tender. And he says, your faith is great. Your faith is the kind of faith that saves. Your faith that you have demonstrated is the kind of faith that glorifies God. And I wanted to show that to my disciples. And by inspiration, I wanted my church for all eternity to see your example of faith. And he says, it'll be done for you as you wish. Your daughter is healed. Guys, here's the point. You remember back in 15, we're talking about the Pharisees and why, why aren't your disciples washing hands? And Jesus talked about clean hearts and, and all of this. You know, the disciple, uh, as, you, as you look at that chapter, the whole point of the chapter, we meet the Pharisees first. And you know what? The Pharisees came before Jesus with clean hands, but they left with defiled hearts. This woman approached Christ with defiled hands but she left with a clean heart. And here's the point. Here's the whole point of the chapter. If you get nothing else from the last three weeks, get this. That what Jesus wanted to do in her is far more important than what she wants him to do for her. The change that Christ is is bringing about in her heart is more important 
than what she wants Christ to do for her. What if, what if Christ had healed her daughter immediately? What would have happened? Her daughter would have been healed and she would have lived maybe a long life and this woman would have died and gone to hell. What good is that? But you see, what Christ was doing in her was more important than what she wanted Christ to do for her. That's the point of this story. And guys, always remember this. What Christ wants to do in our hearts is more important than what we want Christ to do in our lives. The change that he wants to bring about in us to make us more like himself, to make us fit for heaven, to make us more like Christ. That is more important than being healthy, being wealthy, being just fill in the blank. What Christ wants to do in us is more important than what we often want Christ to do for us. And we must always remember that. And so this morning, what does it look like to be a faithful community of disciples? It means that we persevere in our faith. We must persevere in our faith like this woman did. And guys, what that means is, is number one, in verses 21 through 23, we persevere even when God seems silent. Even when God seems silent, we persevere in our faith. We had two baptisms in a row in two weeks. That was awesome. What if we don't see another baptism for four years? Are we gonna persevere? Yes, because we persevere in faith even when God seems silent. It means that we persevere in our faith even when God seems distant. Even when God seems distant. Like it, feel, it feels like our prayers are not going above the ceiling but we persevere because we know that regardless of what we feel, regardless of how distant God seems, we trust his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. We persevere in faith even when God seems unwilling, that no matter how much we pray for our circumstances to change, no matter how much we pray for that thorn in the flesh to be taken away, and God seems unwilling to do so, we persevere in faith, even when God seems unwilling. Why? We persevere in faith, beloved, because no matter our circumstances, no matter our feelings, no matter what's happening in our life, we persevere in our faith because God is always faithful. Always faithful. Semper Fi, always faithful. The Marines just stole that. God had it first. Sorry, Art. God is always graceful. And what he's doing in us to make us more like Christ is more important than what we want him to do around us. So you may, you may have pain for the rest of your life. That cancer may not go away. Your child may be injured and face lifelong repercussions. Government may come in and try to shut us down. They've done that before. 
They may take away this building. They may take away all of our livelihoods. But God is always faithful. And so we persevere. Because when we get on the other side and we see the face of God, just like this woman, we will be able to say it has all been worth it. It has all been worth it. The glory that is to be revealed in us is not even worth comparing to the sufferings of this world. Do you believe that? And let's persevere in our faith. God is always faithful and he shows that faithfulness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we hang on to. That's the basis of our faith. And that's the promise we cling to. Our Father, we thank you for these truths this morning. We thank you for these, this wonderful woman who gave us such an amazing example of saving faith. And Father, I pray that that will be the, the kind of faith that we have, that even when you seem like you're silent, even when you seem like you're distant, even when it seems like you're not going to change anything, like you're unwilling, Lord, we will persevere in our faith because we know no matter what you're doing, it is always to your glory and to our greatest good. We don't always understand it, Lord, because we're made of dust but we trust you and we know that you're good. And if there's one here this morning who doesn't know your goodness that has been ultimately expressed in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins so that we don't have to face the wrath of our sins, Lord, so we can have forgiveness. And then he rose on the third day and even now, maybe there's someone in here right now that he is offering himself to them as a rescue from their sin. Lord, maybe today they need to express that faith for the first time. Or maybe there's those in here who are suffering and they say, you know, if I'm honest, I've allowed my faith to, to, uh, to be wavered. Lord, we pray once again, you will strengthen the faith of your people and that we would persevere. We can only do that through your empowerment, through your strength. And I pray these words have been used for that purpose this morning. Let's all stand together and sing our final song this morning, very appropriate, only trust him. And if you're here and you need prayer, you need counsel, maybe you're here and you need to know Christ as Savior, maybe you've received the word, but you need to confess him in baptism. Whatever the need is, we, we invite you to come this morning. Maybe you wanna join the church. Maybe whatever it is, we, we invite you to come. Kind of just come forward. We'll set up a time that we can have a, a good conversation with you. So let's, let's sing together.